So, good morning, and it's lovely to be with you again. And it's a particular pleasure to be coming to talk about this book, The Promise of Blessing, which I believe you started looking at last week. Um, it's a book that um, I think Jonathan bought for all the staff a, a year or two ago. Uh, and I remember at the time uh, reading it and being really blessed by it, really um, the sort of message of God's love for us and his concern for us and his desire to bless us uh, was really powerful. And I've really enjoyed sort of revisiting it as I've been uh, preparing for today. Um, so um, we're going to... Um, uh, so the book is all based, if you missed last week, it's all based in on the blessing that we read in Numbers chapter 6. Uh, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you. Uh, the Lord give you peace. And um, we're going to be exploring that bit by bit because although it's a very simple blessing, there is so much to it and there's so much to learn. Um, and uh, Kate Patterson says that in writing this book, she wants to expand our view of what God is like and help us to expect to see him bless, bless the ordinary, everyday aspects of our lives. So today we're going to be focusing on the first phrase of this blessing, the Lord bless you. So just before that we do that, I'll just pray. Father God, thank you for the riches that we find in your word and thank you in particular for this blessing that we read in Numbers chapter 6. And as we explore this together, I pray that you would make us more and more confident of that blessing that you want to offer to each one of us. Amen. So what does it mean to bless someone or to be blessed ourselves? Um, I think that sort of phrase, bless you, seems to have become a very, very common phrase recently. Um, I blame Adam for this, in, for me, uh, because Adam very often says, oh, bless you. And I think I've picked that up from him. And uh, Graham and I have this little sort of um, uh, ongoing argument about it, because when I say it, when I, when I say, oh, you know, he, he maybe is telling me a tale of woe about his day or something, and I say, oh, bless you. And he says, don't bless me. He doesn't like me using it in a sort of fairly flippant light you know and I in my own feeling is that it can never do any harm to bless somebody really but you know here I, th I think actually because he's ordained he just feels that he should be the one doing the blessing so you know but anyway um so it is commonly used today um and uh Gordon Wenham um has a definition which can be found in the book um, and he says, an Old Testament blessing is a solemn, deliberate act which brings concrete advantages. So it's not just a nice sentiment. It's not just something we say uh, to show that we're concerned. It's something really tangible and something very real. And so the people we read about in the Old Testament took blessing very, very seriously. They saw it as something that was to be prized, to be valued. Um, you may know the story of Jacob, Jacob and, es and Esau. And um, Esau was, I think they were twins, but I think Esau was the older one. And um, Jacob stole the blessing from his father that should have been Esau's by dressing, because Esau was quite hairy, so he dressed it up with an animal's skin. So, and his father's eyesight was failing, and uh, he managed to get his father, with, I think with his mother's connivance, because he was his mother's favourite, obviously, uh, to bless him instead of Esau. 
But it was worth doing that for because it was really prized. It was something to be pursued in the same way that today we might pursue success or fame or wealth. And in the book, there's quite an amusing story that Kate Patterson points out how this ancient blessing even found its way into Star Trek. Um, so that sign that, Lem I don't know if I can do it, the sort of, uh, that when he says live long and prosper and he does the sort of V sign. And that was actually based, he was brought up in a Jewish home and it's based on the Hebrew letter Shin, which is the first letter of this blessing. And he remembered the men in the family um, praying this prayer. And as they prayed it, um, they would put their prayer shawls over their heads. The idea being that the shining face of God was just too bright. So you had to cover your prayer shawl. And Leonard Nimoy um, remembers that as a boy, he'd have this prayer shawl, but he was aware that something really special was going on. And so he'd kind of peep out and see the men all making this sign. And it just, it spoke to him as something that was really serious and solemn. And that's why he adopted it for the sort of live long and prosper thing, which I think is really interesting. So in exploring exactly what blessing mean, means, uh, Kate Patterson in the book <coughs> explores three aspects of blessing and she puts them together into an equation. And I love this because I love a bit of math. So this, it's a very simple equation, so don't worry if you're not very good at maths. Um, so what she says is that God's favour added together with God's powerful word results equals our well-being. So I want to look at each aspect of that equation in turn. So the simplest element of this is that the blessing involves God's favour. Now, the idea of God favouring us is a powerful one. I think even people who are not Christians can be aware of wanting God's favour. Um, and so you get people who want to have their children baptised, even though they've not really got a, a mature Christian faith, but they don't want their children to miss out on something of God's favour. Um, many people quite like the idea of being prayed for, that even though they're not actually sure there's a God, but they don't want to miss out. If there is a God, they don't want to miss out on that favour. And most people opt in the end for a Christian funeral. It's perfectly possible to have a secular funeral with no uh, prayers at all. But in the end, most people do opt for a Christian funeral, perhaps just not wanting to miss out in God's favour in the afterlife. And in the book, uh, Kate Patterson talks about how she realised that as she was growing up, she had slightly the wrong idea about God. Um, she, she felt um, she said she'd grown up with the idea that she um, she was a bit like a child in uh, a PE race. And I don't know how good you were at PE, um, but I was never very good at it. Um, and uh, so I could really resonate with this. And she, in some ways, she thought of God as being like a kind of scary PE teacher who was standing on the sidelines saying, come on, you've got to run faster, you've got to do better, you've got to... And I think we can have that idea of God, can't we? That he's, you know, he's kind of always saying, oh, come on, you can do better than that. You can, you can run faster, you can work harder. Um, and as she moved through life and various things happened to her, she came to realise that actually God is much more like that 
loving father who's standing on the sidelines and cheering you on. And it really doesn't matter in the end if you don't win the race, but he's cheering you on and he's, he's really willing you to do well. And that is, is more the idea of God uh, that we get from this blessing. That's what God's like. He really wants the best for us. Um, so that idea of fatherly love expresses something of what it means to have God's favour. And then the second element of blessing um, is God's powerful word. Now, words are very powerful. We've probably all experienced being hurt by words or being encouraged by the words of someone else. When I was teaching, part of uh, my job involved um, sometimes observing student teachers or observing other teachers in my school and giving them feedback about their teaching. And I learned that I had to be very, very careful in the way I delivered that feedback um, because criticism could it actually had great power to wound people, but also to really knock their confidence. Uh, whereas, if, and, you know, if it wasn't done carefully and uh, tactfully. And by the same token, words of encouragement can really build people up as they grow in confidence and esteem. One of the things I'm proudest of and being a teacher was um, a student who came to me probably about 10 years ago now. And uh, she she came for her second teaching practice and her tutor rang me up actually the day she was due to come and she said I'm afraid that when she was on her way to school she'd had such a bad experience in her first teaching practice and people had been so critical of her that on the way to school she'd got off the bus and been physically sick and had to go home again and uh, she said to me I think I think you're the one who can build her up. You're the, you're the one who needs to encourage her. And uh, which was quite, you know, that was qu uh, quite flattering, but also quite a responsibility. And she came along and, and we worked with her, uh, not just me, but other people in the school, uh, and really just worked for that term on building up her confidence and gradually giving her more and more responsibility, starting to work with just small groups of children and then moving up, but encouraging her all the time, spotting what she was doing well. And at the end of that teaching practice, she passed really well. She went on to do another one and did really well. And 10 years later, she is still teaching in quite a tough school and doing really well. And the power of words to either knock somebody down or build them up is really, really powerful. And if our words are powerful, how much more powerful are God's words? The words that actually created the entire universe. When God said, let there be light, there was light. When he said, let there be sea and sky, all those things came into being. And it's his words that speak blessing over us and that have the power to kind of recreate us to be who we were originally intended to be. Um, some of you may have done the Living Free course, and if you haven't, I'd really recommend it. And we've got another one that's starting next week, which I'm hoping to go to. Uh, and part of that is, part of that course is helping us to understand who God created us to be. Uh, and why some things maybe in our lives have stopped us from developing fully into the potential that God originally gave us. So when those two things come together, God's favour and God's powerful word, 
the blessing that results is our well-being. Now, I want to kind of unpack that idea of well-being a little bit because it's not about making us happy. Because what makes us happy can change from day to day even. Um, I was thinking back to when I was 10 and I would have been made, at the age of 10, I would have been made really happy by a new Donny Osmond LP and a Vesta Chowmain for tea. Um, I don't think that would really do it today. It does change, doesn't it? Um, and the well-being that God wants to bless us with is perhaps closer to that Hebrew word shalom. Um, and that, that word we sometimes translate it as peace, but it has a really rich sense of wholeness, of health, of peace, and also a sense of welcome, of homecoming. Um, so it, it's more about being than having this blessing, this well-being that God wants to us. It's a bit like I see uh, Eliora and Oswin there, and they're s utterly secure in their, in their parents' love. They're utterly secure. They, they're not worrying about where the next meal's come from or about what's going to happen tomorrow. They're very much secure. And that's what God wants for us, I believe. Julian of Norwich summed this up in a very well-known saying when she said, all shall be well and all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. And it just kind of sums up that sense of well-being that God wants us to have. And uh, Dawn, um, the worship this morning where we talked about fear and sang about um, fear. For a lot of us, we do, we do live without that sense of security and peace. Uh, we live with fears in our lives. Uh, and so God wants us to bless us with this uh, well-being. And it relates, in a way, to God's original design for us, the way we were created to be before the fall. And it involves both intimacy and fruitfulness. So intimacy involves exposing who we really are. It can be quite vulnerable to be intimate with somebody. And so the thought of that can be quite scary. Um, and many of us, um, and sometimes we need to, sometimes it's a healthy thing to do, but we erect barriers to stop ourselves being exposed to other people. Um, I've got a friend who's been a teacher for many, many years. She's a brilliant teacher. Um, she does a fantastic job, and this week they got the Ofsted phone call. And she said, I just feel like I've got imposter syndrome. You know, when you feel like you're about to be exposed and they'll find out you're not really, you know, as good as everybody thinks you are. Uh, and I'm sure she'll have flown through it and been fantastic. But I think a lot of us feel like that inside, don't we? That if people saw who we really are, they wouldn't like it. And I think social media prevents that sort of intimacy. It gives this illusion of being very connected uh, and open. But actually, I think it encourages us to project an image of ourselves to the world that is kind of socially acceptable, an image where we're always having fun and we're always happy and we're always achieving things. Um, and of course, real life isn't like that. And we, we rarely expose it on social media. And perhaps rightly so. Perhaps that probably isn't the place to do it. But, you know, it can give us a false impression. And there are statistics to show that social isolation actually shortens people's lives. People live longer when they're connected. We read in Genesis that it's not good for man to be alone. God made us to be in community. And he particularly made us for intimacy with him. 
And that's part of the blessing that he wants for, he wants for us, a restoration of that intimacy with, it, with him that was first given to Adam and Eve. And the other thing that well-being involves, as well as intimacy, is fruitfulness. And that can really grow out of and should grow out of our intimacy with God. Jesus said, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And we were made to be fruitful right from the beginning. The first chapter of Genesis, God told Adam to be fruitful and multiply. Now, most of us will recognize in ourselves a desire, a deep desire, I think, to live productive and significant lives. After all, we're made in God's image and God was the ultimate creator. He was, fruit, he was the ultimate in fruitfulness. All good things come from him. And Adam and Eve in the beginning were given the incredible job of overseeing the whole of creation, naming all the animals, a tremendous level of responsibility. In the book, uh, Kate Patterson quotes from Woody Allen, um, and he was asked about the meaning of life. And I think what he says sums up the way a lot of people live their lives. He said, I think it's a lot of sound and fury signifying nothing. The answers to those big questions are very, very depressing. What I would recommend is distraction. You get up, you can be distracted by your love life, by the baseball game, by the movies, by the nonsense. And I think a lot of people do live their lives that way, trying to be distracted from really thinking about what life's all about. But it's not satisfying, is it? All of those things are not really ultimately satisfying. For most of us, I think there's something deep inside us that insists that there is more to life than that, that it's not just meaningless. If we're busy, we might sometimes dream of a life of leisure. But actually, for most people, they find that a life of leisure pretty soon um, becomes very unsatisfactory and doesn't really satisfy. We have a deep need to do something really meaningful with our lives. And what that might be is different for each one of us. Um, but if we're able to find it, it's that thing that gets you out of bed in the morning that makes you want to get on with life. And God's message to us in this blessing, part of what he wants to bless us with, is that each one of us has a significance. We were all created with something to do, something unique to do in our lives. We can all make a difference in our world by our words and actions. And believing that changes the way we live our lives. Another quote from the book. Kate Patterson says, believing this, that we have significance, changes how we live life when we believe we're significant, when we expect fruitfulness. And she asks, what might that look like in your life? Is there a gift you could give that would bless someone? Is there a business you could build that will give people employment? Is there a prayer that you could pray that will change someone's day? Is there a word for you to say that would mend a relationship? Could you give someone an invitation to meet Jesus that will change their eternity? The possibilities are as limitless as the number of individuals that God has made us to be. And if there's one thing you take from this, what I'd really encourage you to do is to 
ask God what that one thing is that he really wants you to do that will be significant and fruitful. So God's blessing involves intimacy with him and it involves fruitfulness in our lives. We're created both to be blessed and to be a blessing to others. And those two things together add up to our well-being. Psalm 35 tells us that God delights in the well-being of his servants. So the whole message of this chapter of the book is that God wants to bless us. But clearly, we aren't always blessed. There's a huge amount of suffering and anguish in the world. And the pictures that we've seen of events in Indonesia in the last week only serve to underline that. For some people, that's evidence that God, if he exists at all, is not a God of blessing, but a God of cruelty. But the God who we see in Jesus is very far from being cruel. He's the one who came to share in our suffering. He's the one who came to heal the sick, to touch the people that nobody else wanted to touch, and ultimately to give his life for all of us. That's not a God of cruelty. Of course, originally God made the world perfect, and he made us to be stewards of it. But people rejected God's rule, refused the blessing that he was offering. They refused that intimacy and fruitfulness. And it's this that has resulted in sin and death being a big part of the world we live in. But when it did all go wrong, God didn't just sort of say, oh, that's terrible, let's scrap it and start again. He put a plan into action because he wanted us to be free to choose him or not to choose him. And so he came, of course, himself in the form of Jesus. He came to destroy evil. The Jews were expecting a warrior to kind of go into battle. Um, but he came not with force, but with love. And in the end, that was more powerful. The good news is that God never gives up on us. Throughout the history uh, of the Old Testament, we read there's this continual cycle of people rejecting God, coming back to him, rejecting him, coming back. God never gives up on us. And in the meantime, we pray, your kingdom come. We pray it, don't we, in the Lord's Prayer. And we do that in the knowledge and the hope that one day God will restore the world to the way he originally intended it to be. But the great thing is that we can play our part in building that kingdom if we allow God to bless us so that we in turn can be a blessing to others. I think that's really good news. <laughs>